Luke 5. Hear the word of the Lord. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Joseph. And let me add a welcome and a good morning to you. And if you haven't had a chance to meet Joseph yet, uh, make sure you introduce yourself to him. And I want to reiterate what he said uh, as well. If you consider yourself new here, we would love to uh, see you, meet you, uh, to hear your questions at that newcomer lunch in a couple weeks. But it is good to be together on this Super Bowl Sunday to gather for worship as God's people and uh, it's a gift to open God's word together. It always is. And as we, as we do, as we should, let's pause and ask for God's help uh, in both the hearing and in the speaking of his word. So let's pray together. Thank you, Father, that your arms really are open wide to receive those of us who have come to the end of ourselves um, to receive us through the, the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled for our forgiveness. And we, we want to make much of him this morning in, as we hear your word, as I speak it, as we proclaim together the good news of your grace towards us, uh, a very undeserving people. So I plead with you this morning, uh, God, to transform us, to, to change our hearts and our minds by the power of your spirit, for the glory of your name. Empower me to speak your word after you clearly and plainly and change us in the process. We ask together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Patrick Mahomes has 2.3 million followers on Instagram. It's a lot of people. He's kind of a big deal. Uh, we know that here in Kansas City. You couldn't go anywhere this week without sort of running into the, the fame that is Patrick Mahomes. Uh, seems like the rest of the world is catching up. They're starting to figure out uh, how great he is. But we, I mean, Kansas City football fans love Pat Mahomes. He's a generational talent. He's got that squeaky voice. You know, it's just awesome, right? He's the real deal. And you just feel like you know him. He's sort of that kind of guy, the knowable figure. And I think that's especially true after the last couple years, sort of this ride that we've been together on as fans. And it's a weird thing about celebrity status, right? This weird thing about people that are really famous. Those of us who are fans and followers of famous people feel like we, like we know them, or we have this sense that we're with them, that we know these people in ways that we really don't. 
it's one of the reasons, actually, as I was thinking about it this week, one of the reasons why Kobe Bryant's death this past week was, was such a hard thing to process. I mean, it's sad for so many reasons. But I had to take a moment when I learned the news. I've never met the man. And yet, in so many ways, I feel like I know him. I grew up with him. I feel like I know Kobe, just like I feel like Mahomes is my guy. So whether it's sort of this tragic news about Kobe or this fever pitch that is really true and real here in Kansas City as Mahomes is leading us to the Super Bowl, we experience life with these celebrities, with these famous people in powerful ways from an incredible distance, right? I mean, only a few people that I actually know will hug Patrick Mahomes if we win tonight, right? When we win tonight. Can I name that? Name it, name it and claim it. In Jesus' name. Don't need to take that out of the recording. Wow. See, when you go off script, it just you know, it all goes it all goes bad. But there's only a few people that I know that know Patrick Mahomes. Right? Most of us are just part of the crowd, admiring him from a distance. And he, he couldn't know all of us if he even wanted to. That's just the life of celebrity, of, of famous people. And our story this morning, it actually opens on a similar stage. It's not Super Bowl Sunday, of course. But there's a celebrity and a crowd admiring him from a distance hoping to get near enough to a man with so much promise and power, a man who has gone about healing and teaching with authority. There's people that want to get close to him. Now, unlike Patrick Mahomes, he he also wants to know you, be with you. He invites us and, and others to follow him. That's the scene for our story This morning, we are several weeks into a series called Rediscovering Jesus. We have set out to ask the question, who is he? Who is Jesus? From the Gospel of Luke, who is this man? And last week, Tim left us in chapter 4 with Jesus and an angry bunch of churchgoers. Not here, in the story. Jesus, he's just finished teaching a synagogue from Isaiah 61 where he shares just a central message of mission, of his mission, to preach good news to the poor. And the hearers are furious. Luke tells us they try to throw him off a cliff. And it had to be a crazy scene. Like, church ends, try to throw the guy off the cliff. But Jesus makes it out, verse 30. It's even more bizarre, as I try to think about how this worked itself out. He just, it says, he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So Jesus escapes this angry mob. He leaves his hometown. This is in his hometown. He leaves and heads to a place in Galilee called Capernaum, which is where our story is set. And it's here that Jesus begins to gain some celebrity status. He's a big deal. People hear about his teaching. They hear about his power over evil spirits. His fame in the region begins to spread. It's Patrick Mahomes-esque celebrity. They know who he is. They want to hear what he has to say, want to experience his healing power, a crowd of admiring followers pressing in on him. And our focus this morning is not going to be on the crowds as much. It's going to be much more personal than that. Less about Jesus' instruction to the crowds 
more about his invitation to the individual. Two men in particular, Simon and Levi, known other places as as Peter and Matthew, two of Jesus' earliest followers, poor and needy in in their own ways, Simon and Levi both respond to Jesus and have something, I think for us, to show us about who he is and what it means to follow him. And we're going to key in on Jesus' pursuit of them and ask one just very basic question, a question that was for them in first century Galilee and is for us in 21st century Johnson County, America. And the question is simply this, what does it look like to take up life with Jesus? to follow him along his way, to respond to his message of the good news of the kingdom of God? Like I said, it's a basic question, but most of you are used to that now with me, putting simple questions to the text, but it's one that I think we ought to ask with humility, with some courage. It has the, the potential, if we, if we really internalize and hear what it means to follow Jesus as the potential to, to open our hearts and minds to a, to a new way of living, this way of Jesus. So we will put this question to the story of these two men in Luke 5. I'll make a couple observations, connect it to our lives. Deal? Okay, if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5, Matthew, Mark, then Luke. Chapter 5, we'll start at verse 1. Hear God's word. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or also the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little farther, a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So celebrity Jesus, he he has gathered a crowd that's eager to hear him teach, so much so that he's run out of room on the shore. I mean, they're pressing in so much. He's he's on the water's edge and realizes he he has nowhere to go until he turns around and looks and sees there's a couple boats there. And we learn that he steps into the boat that's owned by Simon, who Jesus has already met. If you back up in chapter 4, Jesus has been in his home already once before. And Simon's, he's, he's out cleaning his nets. I mean, we're, we're told one moment Simon is wrapping up his workday. And the next, he is sharing a seat with this healer, teacher, celebrity Jesus. And it's worth remembering at this point in the story, because it's easy to forget if you're familiar with the New Testament, Simon, who we know most famously as Peter, is no one. He's... He's not the rock upon which Jesus will build his church, not yet. He is not the author of letters circulated a million times over, not yet. He's a fisherman in Capernaum. He's a social nobody. And now he is sharing his seat with this man, Jesus. I'm trying to imagine, I was trying this week to imagine giving, like giving a ride to Patrick Mahomes, like somehow he would need me to take him somewhere, and so I just open my car door and let him in. And it just made me really anxious thinking about that. Like, yeah, it's a little bit dirty. I'm just move stuff out of my 
front seat, you know, everyone does that move right before people get in. Like this is a really intimate encounter with a, with a celebrity, a local celebrity anyway. So Jesus, he finishes with the crowd, and Luke tells us he turns to Simon with a request, or really a command. It says, verse 4, when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in, into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. A rabbi instructing a fisherman on fishing. And Simon responds, master. So he says master, which, which is not the word for rabbi, nor is it the word for Lord or some kind of title for Jesus as God. It's not that. But Simon is clearly submitting himself under his authority. Master. Master, we just, we just wrapped up the day. You know, we fished those waters all night. We've, kind of been, we've been out there at it. We came up empty. You know, we're just about done with our nets. I'm ready to go to bed. I'm embellishing a little bit, but I think that's all in there in his response. And his objection is valid. Right? Master, we worked all night. Simon knows a thing or two about fishing. This is his trade. He's a pro. And Jesus is asking him to do something he's already tried with no success as a, as a professional. It's a bad strategy, but Simon listens to Jesus and does what he tells him to do. His response, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Because you say so, I will do something that makes absolutely no sense to do. I mean, deep water fishing during the daytime was a fool's errand. Simon knew that. Turns out Jesus probably knew that as well. But Simon's response to Jesus, it is, it's still surprising in some ways, but can be explained. He's already witnessed what Jesus can do. If you look back at chapter 4, Jesus cast out a demon in the synagogue. Simon's mother-in-law was healed by Jesus. The language of Luke, I love it, is that Jesus rebuked the fever, and it left him, left her. Right? It's, it's the winter in the Midwest, right? Some of us would love to be able to rebuke a fever or two right now, right? To just say to that fever, get out. But we can't, right? Just like Simon couldn't. He can't do that. But Jesus, this celebrity teacher, healer, sharing the boat with Simon, he can. He has shown power and authority over the physical and spiritual world in some incredible ways already. And so Simon takes him seriously. He does what Jesus tells him to do. And that's the first, again, very simple observation I want to make from this text about what it means to follow Jesus as Simon considers this man and the very real claims he's making on his life and as we consider the same. Simon takes Jesus at his word. He, he takes his commands, his claims on his life seriously. And that's true for us this morning too. Following Jesus requires taking him seriously in every part of life. Again, he's seen Jesus do things that just, that just cannot be explained. He's witnessed him rebuke evil spirits and high fevers. He has seen his power and authority in close and personal ways. 
And so now when asked to do something that doesn't make sense, he listens, he obeys, he takes Jesus at his word. And you and I, we are not, we're not sitting in a boat with Jesus this morning, but he's here. We're not faced with whether or not we will throw our nets out into the sea again. But you and I have decisions about which Jesus has an opinion, and the fact is his opinion is better than yours. It doesn't matter the topic. Jesus was and is an expert on everything. He knows more about fishing than expert fishermen. He knows more about parenting. He knows more about engineering, about medicine, about psychology, about teaching, about law, about football. Jesus knows more about these things than you do. He is the most brilliant person ever. We, I think we forget that. Often. Where are you tempted to think that you know better than Jesus? I mean, usually it's where we feel the strongest, which for me as a pastor is a really dangerous place to be. But the same is true for you. Where are you tempted to think you know better than Jesus? And, and yet, I want to come at this from a different angle too. If you're walking with Jesus, I'm sure you've also learned this a time or two, especially if you've been walking with him for some time now. You know better than Simon even knows just what Jesus can do. And so another question I want to ask this morning is this, what have you seen? What have I seen Jesus do? It's really powerful for me to reflect on this, on this question over the last week. Because I, I do not often think about God's activity in, in my life until I stop to remember it. Which is why I think the practice of remembrance is so crucial for a life of faith and obedience, especially faith into things that make no sense. But a couple things that I reflected on this week. One, God has provided for me and my family in some specific and surprising ways with actual money when we needed it most, when we asked for it. He has done that. He's really done that. I've seen him mend marriages and families miraculously through the power of grace and forgiveness, like hard forgiveness. God has worked redemptively in ways that only he can do. God has healed people of disease and sickness that defies explanation. I've seen that happen. He's provided for this church with specific answers to prayer. I was reading back through my journal, just reflecting on that. I was reminded of his activity among us as a community. What have you seen God do in your life that when you, when you stop long enough to remember would lead you to take the boat out into, the, into deep water? That would lead you to do something that doesn't make sense because you're convinced that Jesus knows better than you. Now let's get back to the story. Because what happens next is crazy. So Simon gives the word, the fishermen, you know, they pick up their almost clean nets, haul them back to the boats, set out to do it again, this time at the word of Jesus, right? That's, 
I love that response from Simon, but at your word, Jesus, I'll do it. So they throw the nets into the same water they've already done. They've done this already. But this time it happens, right? Not a normal catch that can, can be explained by luck or chance. Or while maybe Jesus just knew something we didn't know about, you know, this certain part of the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> or this was a net-breaking, boat-sinking, life-changing haul of fish. And they got to call the other boats. Hey, Kate, we need backup for all the fish that we've just caught in these nets. I mean, this is how you would get rich if you're a fisherman, okay? This moment right here. <laughs> Jesus has just helped these guys hit the fishing lottery. It's fish everywhere. And it must have just been complete chaos. I'm just trying to imagine the scene and the emotional progression from like skepticism, you know, picking up the nets. All right, I guess we'll go do this. Simon's sort of lost it, but I guess we'll do what he says. Right, the skepticism that moves to this tinge of excitement, like, well, looks like there might be some fish out here. Right, then the smile and the laughter and the joy, like, this is it, we're doing it. And then the panic of like, no, now our boats are sinking. This is bad news, right? It's bonkers. This scene is crazy. And in the middle of the madness, there's Simon Peter. So Luke uses his full name here. He's not laughing or panicking. He's not celebrating the huge hall or worried about the water rising in his boat. He is zeroed in on Jesus. This man doesn't care about the catch or the money or any of it. He doesn't even want his own fame or status. Who is this? Who is this man and what is he doing? Simon is undone at this moment. Something changes for him as he sees Jesus and he sees himself. Luke tells us that he falls down at Jesus' knees in the boat. Verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me, go away. I'm sinful, Jesus. I can't share this boat with you. Simon's perspective, for sure, is formed by a Hebrew way of seeing the world, this Old Testament law that would forbid being in contact with with unclean things because they would defile you. That's the language here that he's using. His framework is, I'm unclean, Jesus, get away. I'm like a leper that you cannot touch. You can't be near me. I'll make you unclean. If you touch me, it will be bad for you. He is overcome. He's undone by his unworthiness and by, by the otherness of Jesus. Who is this man? There's fish flopping everywhere, and Simon is on his knees in front of this teacher, healer, Jesus. There's another fundamental truth for us from this just incredible scene to understand, which is that following Jesus requires first falling down at his feet. You cannot take up life with Jesus until you've had this moment. Where Jesus interrupts your life in such a way that you are convinced of your own sinfulness before him. 
which can be a hard sell in our day. We don't like to talk about sin or think of ourselves in this way as as broken or, or as in need of healing and forgiveness. And astonished at Jesus. I love that that language. They were all astonished. Like jaw on the floor. How did that happen? It doesn't make sense kind of astonishment. It's, It's been a bit of a haunting question for me this week. Which is when was the last time I was astonished by Jesus? Like just in awe of him. Amen, Bobby. My cynicism gets in the way, or I'm too distracted, or I haven't spent enough time on my knees in prayer to recognize that it's actually God doing all the things around me that are happening. When was the last time you were astonished by Jesus, like Simon and his business partners? Remember, they're not, it's not like they're at a men's retreat when this happened, okay? This is Tuesday at the office. Jesus just jumps in and changes their life. Everyday life, he's, he interrupts it and commands them to do something that makes no sense so that when, when they see what he can do, they will fall flat on their faces and say, go away, I can't be with you. And then Jesus responds. This is my favorite part of this scene. He says to Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll, you'll fish for men. I, mean, I, just, I just love this part. Because this is the good news of the kingdom of God being worked out between Simon and Jesus in this exchange right here. Simon says, I am too sinful for you. Go away. Depart. I'm unclean. And Jesus does the opposite. He calls him closer. He invites him to take up life with him because he came. That's why he came. He came to make him whole. In the scene just after this one, Jesus heals a leper who understands this about Jesus. It's just a beautiful thing that Luke does here. He understands it better than Simon. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus doesn't go away from sinners. He calls them closer, close enough to touch us and make us Clean. Praise God for that this morning. That's good news. Good news for me. And not only that, Jesus gives his followers a new identity, a new purpose. He invites them into his mission. That's the third observation I want to make. That following Jesus requires joining him in his mission, going with him to do what he does. From now on, You'll be catching people, not fish. That's what he says to Simon. Simon is now part of this rescue mission to the sick and the sinful. And it starts immediately, right here. He leaves everything and goes with Jesus. And the same is true for us. If you're walking in the way of Jesus as an apprentice of his, we are called to do what he does. That's what it means to apprentice someone. You follow them around, and you learn to do what they do. So for us, that means joining him in the work of redemption and healing and forgiveness that he brings. And if you're anything like me, it it can be difficult to know exactly what that looks like. 
What does it mean to do that? Are we all supposed to quit our jobs and go into the ministry? Is that the lesson from, this, from these fishermen? No, not, not necessarily. Maybe. Maybe that is for some of us. But that's not the normative blank, blanket call here or even a better step of obedience than others. So what does this look like? That's where I want to turn to Levi's story, which is much, much shorter. We'll spend less time there. But hey, the game's not until 5.30, so we could go all day, right? So Luke, he tells two more stories of Jesus' healing the sick and forgiving sin, kind of between these two, which I love. Go back and read all of Luke 5 together with this framework of Jesus coming to those who are sick and also forgiving sin. It's amazing. But he has two stories in there, and then his fame increases with the crowd, verse 26, and amazement sees them all. And then verse 27, Jesus interacts with Levi, and it reads like this. After this, Jesus healing the paralytic, after that, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Stop there. So Jesus sees Levi. He's, at, again, at his like, place of work. It's where Jesus is calling these men. And he says, follow me. It's a much simpler calling here than the previous story, but the, the same result. Levi leaves everything to follow Jesus. And then Luke says, Levi throws a huge party, must have a big place, throws a huge party in Jesus' honor and invites all of his friends and co-workers to come and meet him. That's what he does. So tax collectors in particular, that's who Matthew would have known most likely. Matthew was a tax collector himself. They were not particularly liked in their day because no one likes to pay money to the government. Uh, no one, and especially doesn't like people who are making money off of that. And tax collectors in the Bible were, were Jews who were working for the Romans. Traitors getting rich for being traitors. It was a tough job for the tax collectors to be liked in the community, which is why the Pharisees have this question for Jesus and his new followers. Why are you hanging out with these people? Why are you spending time with these terrible folks? These people will make you unclean, you know. And that's, that's the idea. If you spend time with these people, they will defile you. And Jesus steps in with this response, one of the most powerful statements in the Bible, verse 31. It says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but, but those who are sick do. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's a stinging rebuke to the Pharisees who undoubtedly see themselves as too good for Jesus. And if you think you're good enough without Jesus, if you are part of the righteous that Jesus is talking about here, then you cannot, you cannot take up life with him. There's no place for you. Jesus didn't come for those who think they are fine. I'm fine, Jesus, thanks. I mean, let that sink in long enough to make you uncomfortable. 
If you think you're fine, Jesus didn't come for you. He came for those who know they are sick and sinful, who know they need healing and forgiveness. Luke chapter 5 could not be any clearer. The whole chapter. So that's who Jesus spends his time with. The sick and sinful. And as it turns out, that's who his followers end up spending their time with. People with regrets. With a past and a a present. With guilt and shame and sin. Real sin in their lives. This is who Jesus is caught spending his time with. And just before the sermon, we sang about Jesus' invitation to the hurting and broken, the call to leave behind your regrets, mistakes, to find forgiveness in the open arms of Jesus. That's you and that's me. That's all of us. And if you are here and have not responded to that invitation from Jesus, if you have not answered his call to follow him, you can do that today. Right now, here. You can repent of your sin. Turn away from it. Call out to him for healing and forgiveness. He came for you. That is the wonderful news of the gospel of grace. Jesus came to the hurting and the broken. And if you're already following Jesus, this is the mission. To be with the sick and the sinful to open our hearts and our homes to those who need healing and forgiveness, not as those who are better, but as those who need it ourselves, which is not an easy or comfortable call. I mean, just imagine the learning curve for Simon and his friends. Right? None of this was natural for them, and yet it's the way of Jesus. Life with Jesus means taking him seriously. It means falling down before him at his knees, saying, I'm unclean. And it means joining him in his mission to a broken and dying world. It's it's one thing to follow him from a distance, part of the crowd, admiring his power and interested in his teaching. Jesus had plenty of fans in his day. And we are at risk of the same if we're not careful. Will you, with Simon Peter, confess, I'm sinful, unclean, and let the healer get close enough to save you? Will you take up this life with him? He wants to be with you. Let's pray. God, thank you for this beautiful story that is in so many ways, bizarre. Your authority over the natural world, over the spiritual, God, is it's enough to undo us if we really stop and consider who you are and what you've come to do. God, may we with Simon Peter truly confess that we are sinful But God, with the leper, may we also say, but if you will, if you want to, you can make us clean. God, thank you for for the invitation to come closer to you, to join you. God, thank you that you don't depart from us, that you don't look at us and say too many regrets, too much shame, 
too much sin in that one. God, that is never your posture towards us. You are always ready and eager to welcome us into life with you. God, strengthen us. Give us wisdom to know what following you looks like today and tomorrow in our everyday lives. And send us out to the sick and sinful to be your good news to the poor. We pray this in Jesus' name.